Hello, and welcome to the Teaching Drama Podcast. I'm Kyle A. Thomas. I'm Elena Yerchak. And first, we have to start off with a bit of an apology. <laughs> yep. <laughs> We're sorry that it's taken this long to get this episode out. Uh, that wasn't by design or anything like that. It was not. It's just simply that we've been incredibly busy. This is the end of the semester. Yes. So and many of you are in the same boat. Yes. Uh, and Kyle just went back to visit his grad school. I did. I went back to the University of Illinois. Uh, we had the 50th celebration for 50th anniversary celebration for the Cranert Center for the Performing Arts. Happy birthday, Cranert! Yeah, it was great. <laughs> it was a lovely, lovely ceremony. I, we were also uh, celebrating the retirement of a professor, longtime acting movement fight choreographer professor at the University of Illinois. And it was just a joy to be a part of that and to speak to his long, long service as a teacher and as someone who has taught some of the best actors in this country, many of which people out there may know. I won't mention them on this podcast simply because I don't <laughs> know if they want their names mentioned or anything like that. Yeah, but we don't want to get sued. No, not at all. I don't think that would happen, but it's still nonetheless probably the best if we just leave it at it was great to see the legacy of a teacher who'd been teaching for decades and made such an impact and have a lot of those students come back and speak to the work of this professor and what he did in their lives and how he Absolutely. shaped their careers. And it was just really, That's really fantastic. lovely. As well as to celebrate the Craner Center too, which I, I guess I should make a plug. It's a great <laughs> it's a great performing arts center. It was a joy to be able to spend the time there that I spent if you ever have the chance, if you're ever going through central Illinois and you have a chance to visit Champaign, Illinois, where the University of Illinois happens to be, please take a minute, visit the Craner Center for the Performing Arts. They give tours. It's a great, beautiful, amazing facility in the yeah. middle of the prairie of the Midwest. <laughs> yeah, I was honestly quite pleasantly surprised at how beautiful it is on the inside. It's big, too. It's huge. It's gigantic. It's massive. I, I spent my first year just lost the, in that I building. I believe it. Yeah, just wandering around. So we're very sorry that we were unable to get things uh, or to get an episode out as quickly as we might have liked, but we are forging ahead nonetheless and thank you for listening and sticking with us even though we we, we just kind of got off of our regular schedule there for a bit so our regular schedule that lasted three weeks <laughs> yeah some some degree of regularity <laughs> so we started our twitter profile finally yeah and i think we we talked about that, that last, last time, time i believe <laughs> and we put out a twitter poll to ask, oh, this is why you're bringing this yeah, up. Yeah, to now ask I'm everyone, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to ask everyone out there what it is you want us to talk about as a part of this podcast episode, and we'll do this from time to time. So please yes. do follow us on Twitter at teaching underscore drama. Make sure that you are keeping up with what we're doing there. Uh, so because we'll we'll put out information as well as what we're looking at in terms of the things that we're reading to kind of get ready for these episodes but also we want to hear from you yes. we want to know what it is you think we should be talking about we'll do that through polls and other things so please 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 follow us yes. let us know what you think about the podcast or anything you'd want us to talk about and we will do our best to make sure that happens yes and thank you to those of you who responded to the poll yes I, very much i like you Definitely proved Kyle right, so thank you for doing that, and thank you for proving me wrong. <laughs> Twitter's a thing, and people Twitter use it. Twitter is a thing, and yeah, people do use it. So thank you guys for doing that, and thank you guys for helping us figure out what our topic was for this week, which is... 
Kyle? Show versus class requirements. And class meaning the course requirements that you have uh, as a part of de- your degree. So we're just going to jump right into it with our yeah, first, we are. first question of this episode. This is So we've got uh, two questions, and then we've got our big question at the end that we'll, say, we'll reserve for that. But let's just start with the first thing, which is, is, theater de- is a theater degree about learning how to put on a show? Is that essentially what we are doing with our students when they come into our programs, they spend four or so years with us learning how to be, they earn a theater major, whether it's a BA or BFA, let's let's just kind of leave that aside for a minute, but they're getting a theater degree. Is that about putting on a show? I think, I think this is an interesting question. I think all the questions that you came up with this week are interesting questions because Thank you. I don't, well, you're welcome. <laughs> I don't think... And I, I think that they're interesting questions because they can't really be a hard and fast rule. I think there will be a lot of people that react to that question of like, yes, well, theater is about putting on shows. But I think in an educational setting, well, and in professional settings, it's about much more than that. It's about learning the history of art. It's about learning how to be an artist. It's about learning... Uh, what you're inspired by and how to do the research that inspires you. It's about learning how to communicate, learning how to be a professional, and all, doing all of that within a structured and safe environment that mm. the real world cannot offer you yeah. and will not offer you. Yeah. So that's, I mean, that that is my answer in a nutshell. Yeah, I like that. I, I kind of have a counter to it. And let me let me start by saying this. Because I work in the kind of theater studies areas, mm-hmm. particularly, specifically, theater history. Yes. That's, that's always the struggle for me. I think, and I think that's a, that's a big struggle for a lot of departments. They have to teach theater history because a lot of the accreditation boards out there, accreditation agencies like NAST, the National Association for Schools of Theater, mm-hmm. require that if your students are there to get a theater degree, and a, a particularly an accredited theater yes. degree, you have to teach at least two semesters of theater history. Mm-hmm. But what does theater history teach you about putting on a show? That's something that I think that I struggle with as a teacher a lot, and, and I wonder if there are other teachers out there who do, so please tell us if that's something you've kind of found a way to work around. But but a lot of departments, it seems like, to me, uh, in the work that I've done, there's this kind of wonder about, like, why do we have students go through, at the, at the very... At, at, at most two semesters of, of theater history. Maybe we could maybe package it all together really quickly into one. Mm-hmm. But why two semesters of theater history if what we're trying to teach you is to be an actor or be a designer, be a stage manager, be a director, whatever, so on and so forth. Why do you need to know any of that? Well, I, I mean, I think you can ask that in a lot of different disciplines because like... If we're talking about general general education classes, we are asking kids to take a course in like Christian studies or in some type of theology course. Or just like even or the history like of philosophy or some type of random history course. Yeah, the history of, of the world, history of civilizations, history of something. Yeah. Yeah. And like some of those classes, like I had to take, I went to a liber- liberal arts undergrad. It was a very small 
place where we had to take a bunch of liberal arts credits. Yep. And a lot of that information went one in one year and out the other because I knew that, I mean, for me, learning what Kant wrote about in different philosophical writings was not important for my life. <laughs> but it was something that they felt that I needed to learn. However... You didn't Some, like a critique of pure reason? No. Okay. No, yeah. I didn't. <laughs> there is also, there is a book that I um, had to read for one of those classes that was called On Caring. That was the title of the book. And I don't, I have no idea who it was by. It was some philosopher or something. And it provided a lot of opportunities for me to like take selfies with that book. <laughs> clearly not caring. <laughs> but I like that. I like that. <laughs> This is me caring yeah, while I read on caring. Um, <laughs> but I like all of that aside, for some people, those classes are very valuable. For some people, sure. those classes build what their major is, build what they go to grad school for, build what they write a dissertation on. Like for some people, those classes are just like intrinsically valuable. And the idea that, we shouldn't teach history because it's not a practical skill, whatever that means, is something that also kind of hits home with me a little bit too. It's in a different vein, uh, but a lot of the uh, struggle I've been having this year is that our department focuses very heavily on production. Yeah. And in my scenic design courses, I focus a lot on the individual design process and the steps that you take to get to a finalized design and the deliverables that you have to create. And all of these things aren't necessarily about how to put on a show. Yeah. These are the background steps for if you have the ideal circumstances where you have a TD that will take your drawings and take them into the shop and tell a shop team how to build them. But for a, for like, for example, a student who is wanting to teach at a high school level, I'm not teaching that student how to go into the shop and build their own scenery. Sure. Because I don't believe that that's within the scope of my class. Hmm. Interesting. And so that's, I kind of feel some sense of parallel there of like, we have to learn, we have to learn where, we have to learn the ideal is before we can stumble our way through a process. So it, for you, and I, and I kind of agree with this a little bit, is it about like the, maybe the pedagogical aims of the department uh, or, or yes. the, just the, the, how the department frames the importance of production. So every department mm -hmm. could be a little bit different. Some programs could really focus on doing five, six, seven shows a year. I mean, I, I, that, that to me sounds like an astronomical number for a single <laughs> school year. But there are some programs out there that do as many as eight shows in a single year. They've got the spaces for it. They've got the faculty for it. Absolutely. And they've got the student population for it. But uh, then you've got like smaller programs liberal arts programs where maybe they're a little less production focused. But even mm -hmm. then, I mean, you can still do maybe just four productions a year or three productions a year and still be heavily focused on a quality, excellent execution in putting those productions together. So do you get your cues? Do you take your cues from the way the department understands production as a part of its larger output and pedagogical instructive framework? I think you have to, as a department, have those conversations 
And I think it becomes really difficult when someone who hasn't participated in those conversations or who isn't privy to whatever decisions were made comes in and already has their own philosophy about Mm. the way that theater should be taught or the way that we should be aiming our focus when it comes to theater. Well, that speaks to kind of what we were saying a while back about the job market is, you Mm -hmm. know, and you and I know this all too well that you apply for a lot of jobs and and you'll probably not hear back from the vast majority of them. And even if you do get down the road in a certain progress, uh, process with a particular university or a particular job if you don't get it it's not because you're not talented or you're not a good teacher or you're not a good theater artist a lot of the times it has to do with are you a good fit within that department mm-hmm. given what you teach how you teach it and also what your production output is like I think that's something that I kind of struggle with because I have this focus on the middle ages and medieval theater and this is kind of bringing back that that question about theater history yes but i'm really focused on production i really like finding ways to apply theater history specifically medieval theater history Mm -hmm. into contemporary performance practices i actually think that medieval theater history is one of the best vehicles for teaching brechtian theory you have a guy in the 20th century who's really railing against a bourgeois theater that is built upon certain frameworks about how people experience what they're witnessing and what that does to them as an affect. And in the Middle Ages, the things that he was kind of were the things that he was critiquing as an a, as an effort to get to a certain aim or goal that he had. I think that goal was actually realized pretty regularly within medieval theater, within medieval performance practices, mm-hmm. and that's something I can teach. So. I'm hopeful that even as a PhD and someone who's really given themselves to the side of theater that is more academic, more scholarly, more research oriented, that I still really focus on the application, the output in terms of performance and production. I don't know where that leads us exactly, yeah. <laughs> but the but I, I say all that to say that I think that it's harder for me to find a fit within some departments. It's yeah. harder for me to find a kind of, or at least it's harder for folks to look at my credentials and see how they fit within their own program. Yes. And I think I'm going to comment briefly on what you said a little bit earlier. I don't know if yeah. this was like something that you consciously said, but I'm going to pick it apart because that's what I do. Um. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. Makes for good content on the podcast. <laughs> but um, you mentioned that there are, a variety of theater departments across the nation, across the world even, that are doing a different number of shows. And like you can you can be doing, as you said, you said like eight productions a year and be production focused, or you could be doing four productions a year and being production focused. I think the issue is uh, when when those productions start to run, every aspect of the department and like the problem for me is and why I said what I said about the importance of classwork is that we can't let I don't believe that we can let our classes come to a grinding halt for the sake of a production gotcha and that's what I think might lead us into that next question a little bit more um but I just wanted to touch on that briefly because I think it is possible for departments to be production focused but still not be focused on that quality of work that caliber of work and getting that up to the top 
a lot of people think that doing any show is better than doing no shows. Gotcha. Yeah. Which isn't necessarily something that I ascribe I, to. I would agree with you there. I think that you've got to set as a department, you've got to set an expectation of excellence yeah. for what for the productions that you do as a department. Now, I'm not talking about and I want to make this very clear. I'm not talking about student-led productions. I'm oh, not yeah. talking about experimental spaces and studio spaces that yes. are all for, hey, let's try things out. Let's all roll on the floor and bark like dogs and see what happens kind of thing. That's a very specific example. Maybe I did that in my past. Who knows? <laughs> um, but, I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> but it's not about... It's got to be focused on... When we all come together as a department where faculty are maybe contributing design or they are playing a very a very uh, strong advisory role, or maybe they're directing the production, maybe mm-hmm. even acting in the production. When we are working as a cohesive unit, as, as cohesive collaborators, then yeah, there needs to be kind of an expectation for where do we see our shows going? Like yeah. how, what, what quality of show do we reach for? Yes. Not a lot of schools are gonna be able to reach for a Broadway caliber style production. Some schools can, yeah. but you know, nonetheless, not should, non- nonetheless, I think it's important to look at your peers as a university. I think you and I come yeah. from, in our undergraduate programs, coming from small liberal arts programs, we come from relatively similar programs. I think there's a lot of comparison that can be made there. But both mm-hmm. of us came from programs that expected a lot out of their students when their students were in production. Oh, absolutely. Not that we didn't get ex- have high expectations for class, but there was kind of a certain expe- expectation that when you're in a class setting, you're going to start somewhere where wherever you are at the beginning of the semester by the end of the semester your professor has watched you grow in some way and mm-hmm. that growth is really what's i think in most cases graded on that's what you're receiving the grade for how well you grew in that very particular aspect of theatrical study and based upon where you started and where you ended up whereas yeah. in production it's not really about that it's we need you to do this job to this quality and get it done by this date Yes. That being said, though, I think it's and I think we'll be able to touch on this in the last two questions that you're going to ask. But um, I think it's very important, at least for me, to make it clear that I as an undergrad and I this is why my mind has been framed in this way. We had we had really I mean, for the fact that we started a theater program out of basically nothing while I was in school. We were producing pretty high caliber shows. We had really great singers and dancers. We had really good talent among the people in our department. So we were held to a high standard for sure. But the work that we were doing in our productions, even though the production work was literally determining the future of our department at that point, even though all of that was extremely important, it was never permissible for us to slack off in class because of a production. Yes. Which is, I think, an important distinction to draw. Yeah, I think that, I think any department would benefit themselves by saying, just because you're in a show doesn't mean you get to slack off in your class, doesn't mean you get to use your work on that show as an excuse for not completing an assignment or, yes. it, or, not getting the assignment done to the expectations that the professor knows you can reach. Yeah, absolutely. And we had some of the 
Some of the best actors in our department were placed on academic probation because they weren't doing their homework. They were slacking off because they were the lead in whatever show we were doing. And they thought, and I mean, rightly so, their talent would get them by, which makes sense. But it goes back to that question of like, what are you in school for? Why are you in an educational environment? And it has to be to receive some sort of education that has to be standardized and controlled. Yeah, it's about professionalism because all professional theater artists have to manage their schedules, have to manage their work, have to manage their personal lives on top of and other things that are going on. You have what you learn is that talent will get you far, but it doesn't get you far enough. Yes. And it certainly isn't sustainable that if you can't show yourself to be a professional who is driven towards a sense of excellence and quality in your work, then you won't do well in this business. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes across when you have to juggle all the many parts of your educational experience, which is shows, classes, any other extracurricular activities or life issues that you have just going on. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the second question. And to preface the second question, uh, if you've been following us on Twitter, so bringing it back to that... <laughs> You would have seen that we were uh, reading a few different articles and things this week, uh, one of which, or some of which, came from HowlRound.com. If you're not familiar with HowlRound, they are a theater commons website, and they put together and basically kind of are a hub for theater artists, theater scholars, theater critics to write about the experience of being in theater, seeing theater, doing theater, all of those, teaching theater, all that sort of thing. So we recommend highly that you check it out. Mm-hmm. I've written for them. I had a great experience writing for them. So please do look at their website. But one of the articles we are reading is an article entitled Valuing Process Over Product, Producing Theater in Education Settings by Ashley Worley. Mm-hmm. And one of the quotes that really stood out to me, and I'm going I'm to give you the quote and then I'll, then I'll ask the question, Great. is she says, quote, the theater arises when that learning environment focuses too heavily on the product over the process. In many professional theater education programs, as well as some school programs, the pressure for a top-notch production overshadows the educational aspect, end quote. Mm-hmm. So the question is, should coursework be considered process? Or, it's kind of an addendum to this, so should coursework be considered process? Or is that already built into the work of putting on a production? Process, that is. Is process already built into the work of a production? Should we leave it there? I have I have strong feelings about this, as I've sort of alluded to already. Good, and I want to hear them. Mainly because of, I mean, only because of what's happened with my own personal life and my upbringing in the theater and how I have arrived at being being a theater professional and a theater educator oh that was my very wordy (laughs) disclaimer i guess (laughs) disclaimer i can only speak from my own perspective on this yes this is your opinion your perspective yes but i i agree completely with that quote i think and i this is why i like to teach my especially my scenic design courses in the way that i do where i don't make it about that finalized product as much. And I've received some good feedback on that. I've received some bad feedback on that. Mm -hmm. But 
for me, it has to be about that process, the process of arriving at a design. And I think in a lot of educational settings, we fall into this trap of needing to um, get a show done very quickly due to due to budgetary restrictions or due to scheduling restrictions or due, due to the fact that maybe we lost the rights for a show. Maybe we have to pick another show randomly. Yeah. Um, and because everything in the theater world kind of moves so fast because we're sort of faced with these decisions on the fly, we don't allow our students to take the time that they need in that process. A lot of times I feel. And I feel that I have grown the most on productions where I have been allowed to take my time and really explore that process of being a designer. Hmm. And that's how I came to love design. I, as a person who decided I wanted to do theater, I decided I wanted to be a stage manager. That's what I was going to do. And yeah. I love stage management. I love the oh, thank, paperwork involved with thank it. Thank God for stage managers and those folks that want to do it because yes. I have no desire for it, but I am so happy to have a good stage manager at my side. Yeah. Yeah. They're good. Stage managers are completely invaluable. Um, but you came into th- but, for stage management. And yes. I focused on stage management first and literally in, in a year, in my last year of, of undergrad, I completely turned it around because I was able to spend so much time engrossing myself in the designs that I was doing. And I, I had every single step outlined to me. I had to follow all of the steps of like going through a research process, going through a preliminary sketching process, going through a model building process, going through a digital rendering process, like all of these steps I had to do in order to arrive at a final design. And there were people checking up on me because we had like one very simple scenic design class Mm -hmm. that I had taken. So it was like they structured it in such a way that I was sort of going through independent studies on the shows that I was producing for the department. Yeah. And because they allowed me to sort of like take my time with those design processes and be in the room with all of the people of the production team and be in a like mock professional setting, I grew to love design because I fell in love with the process. What about the speed of that process? Did you find that comfortable to like work a little bit faster for a production than you do for a course? I find it pretty similar, actually. Okay. Um, I think I work. I think I worked much faster in a in courses, especially in grad school. Like we were producing three full designs every semester in grad school, but starting the design process for department shows six seven months in advance Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so i find that um i find it often to be the opposite where i was expecting that i was assuming that the well in some departments it just depends on when you start the process because if you start a year ahead of time on a show or eight months ahead of time on a show, mm-hmm. that's that's a good amount of time to do the work you need to do as a designer oh, or director or whatever. Yes. But in some departments, you don't start really working on a show until <sighs> a few months before you begin rehearsals. But that's, that's what I'm saying is a problem. Well, in some departments, mm. you start working on a show when they start rehearsals. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. 
And that's what I'm saying is a massive problem because mm. that's not focusing on the process. That's focusing on the production. On just getting it done. On just getting I mean, it we've done. We've got to do a show and, and it's got to get done. So that's what we all I was have to be crazy a bit. about it for about five, four to six weeks. Yes, that's what I was saying a little bit earlier about um, how there are departments that focus on the production, but they don't give enough time to that process. And the, at the end of the day, the process is why we do this. Like why... We've already talked about this on the podcast. Yeah, this was like our first episode. This was our first mm-hmm. episode. But it, we have to value that process. We have to sort of bow to that process in a certain way. Because what are we teaching our students if we give them a month to design, draft, and build a show before it goes up? What are, we, what are we saying to our students if the first design meeting that we have for a show is the day that auditions are happening for the show? Yeah. Well, that's why I am teaching my design courses the way that I am is because I don't see that process being presented within the productions that are being done. And that's why I valued the way that the productions were presented to me in my undergrad experience so much because... I was given time for that process, even though I wasn't really presented that within a structured classroom setting. Yeah. I think that, I think that, that courses and productions need to be treated very, very separately within a program. I think that they almost need to be treated like professional work, the productions, I mean. Yes. So that you are treating them with that sense of this has to be good. It's got to be done well. And we have to give, like you say, we have to give respect and deference to the process and the needs of our students in regards to learning how to manage that process over a professional amount of time, yeah. like six to eight months or so before production ever even begins the rehearsal process. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I'm very much on the side of, yes, I, I agree with the quote, and I think that it's it's spot on for the most part. But I, I think that, that holistically for a department, your coursework, what you teach, how you teach it, the assignments you are giving to your students and the due dates that you're setting for them needs to be considered independently oh, yeah. from what it is that you're working on for the productions. Absolutely. Those two processes need to be very different. And there's, a, there's an added point to this that I want to make that they're essentially, what we're essentially doing when we put on a production is we're, we're showing our students or, or, or guiding our students through the production process, the artistic mm-hmm. process. Yes. In the courses, we're guiding our students through the educational process. Mm-hmm. And both are incredibly valuable. I don't think anyone's going to argue that point. But we need to help our students understand that even when they're in the midst of some of the busiest artistic processes of their lives, they still need to be willing to be learners they still Mm -hmm. need to be willing to be educated they still need to give time and effort towards bettering themselves and bettering their lives and their thinking processes as theater artists on their side on their own time yeah that sometimes if you're an actor you might have a a great deal of success and you're working in shows but maybe you need to take a little time to to 
do an acting class that you've not done before that's based in movement or that's Shakespeare oriented or something yeah. like that. So that you're learning a new skill that you may not have developed very much earlier on in your career or in your education. Mm -hmm. So you have to manage the artistic process at the same time that you manage an educational process. Yeah. So I, I, in my mind, these are two very separate things. And then within a department, you can kind of build a pedagogical framework around that, but the framework should say, we treat these two things differently. When you come into this room as the student scenic designer for this show, and we're doing production meetings months in advance, we are treating you like a professional. Mm -hmm. We are expecting you to have done the things that you need to have done by certain deadlines so that we can continue this process on an efficient track. Yeah. But when you come into my classroom, and I'm no longer your director or your advisor or your collaborator. Now I'm your teacher. I'm your professor. Mm -hmm. It's a different setting. There's a yes. different set of rules. And this interaction is going to work very differently because I'm not guiding you through the artistic process anymore. I'm guiding you through the educational process in which I am the expert. Yes. I know much, much more. But in the production room, in the production meeting, or in the rehearsal, I might treat you with a little bit different type of respect where I'm treating you a little bit more like a peer or, a, or someone who's acting in the position of a peer yeah. as a part of that artistic collaboration. Well, and I think, I think that that's extremely important because in a lot of senses, that's how, like guiding them through a professional process like that, professional, underlined, yeah. um, <laughs> it's, it's extremely important for how these students grow like in one of my seminar classes where we were talking about uh, AEA mm -hmm. actors equity and so like so many of the stage managers that I work with are like are these rules that we should be following and I'm like I followed them in undergrad because I wanted to be a professional stage manager so yeah. maybe it wouldn't be that bad of an idea yeah. so I think there needs to be there need to be things that reflect that educational setting within the department shows there has to be some overlap at some point um there has to be an overlap in the way that we're teaching and the way that we're expecting shows to happen but you're you're completely right in that that has to be a conversation that is led by the people leading the department yeah. they have to make those choices they have to commit to that they have to make it very clear that they're in charge of those processes and that uh, nothing happens under the guise of the theater department that it doesn't get yeah. checked by them. And, and it was, I mean, it's easy to say, and I get it. it. It makes sense to maybe use your acting class to hold a bit of a mini rehearsal, to work on some things in an acting class that you're going to be working on in rehearsal later on. It makes sense as a design professor to have your students exploring some aspects of the design that, that might go into the show or, or various similar types of things. To do double duty, so to speak, the old adage of killing a bird with you know, two, killing two birds with one stone yes. kind of thing. Yeah. Got to get my, my idioms right. <laughs> the old adage of what was it again? <laughs> <laughs> killing birds one yeah, way or another. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, it makes a lot of sense and it makes life a lot smoother, a little bit easier. I get that. Mm -hmm. But I think that everyone kind of has to understand and everyone has to agree that we're going to be a department or whatever department it is, it's going to be focused on professionalism and education as two sides of the same coin, but yet separate. 
yeah. that they that this department or whatever department is focused on those two things, but they manifest very differently. And that does create a little bit more work on the part of the professors who are both artists, teaching artists and professors as well. Oh, absolutely. So I, I think that that definitely is, I can see where folks would want to say yes, but it makes it a lot smoother if I do these things in class that will help as a part of the production process. Yes, but who are you doing those things for? Agreed. Are you doing those things for yourself, for it to be easier on whatever job you have to do? Or are you doing those things for your students and their value yeah. in learning? Because yeah. like as a, as a person who has taken lighting courses and is teaching an intro to design course where we talked about lighting, uh, I have to like I part of those courses was going into whatever theater space there was a show in at the time and talking about the plot and bringing up some lights and looking at the colors and how they mix and looking at the angles and how they fall on a body as a way to contextualize what is a pretty abstract concept, which is lighting design. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there there is room for that type of overlap, but to use the people who are paying to take a course yeah. As like the work for a department production, I think that's really icky and messed up. Yeah, I completely agree. I think that it's I I the acting kind of side of that is I'm not if you're only ever reading the plays that we're doing productions about or or working on those plays, oh, yeah. then you're not you're not I'm not doing you any service as a professor over the course of your education at and right. undergrad or grad school uh to help you be a well-rounded, knowledgeable theater person, theater artist when you leave university. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I completely agree. Great. Great. So that leads us to the big question, mm -hmm. which I'm really kind of, I like this because it's very theoretical. Very it just kind of it's, it's a big what if question. It's it it it. it I, we'll see where it leads us. I, you know, it might be a complete flop as a question, but who knows? So this is it. And and I'm, and think about it for you know if you're listening out there think about it for yourself because I think this is a really in the basis of the question might might provide some interesting conversation as well so mm -hmm. this is it what would it look like if a theater department didn't mount full productions what would it look like if a theater department did not mount full productions how does that change our understanding of theater as an academic pursuit I think that this is a really interesting question and when you first like sent me these questions that you're going to ask. I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this one. But as I've been thinking about it more, I kind of started to reflect on my own journey in theater. Like I keep saying over the course of this episode, well, what else do you have to go off? Of? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It makes sense. <laughs> but uh, as I said, the theater department it, at my undergrad was formed while I was there. And before that time we did student produced student produced stuff yeah student written student produced all student done just a bunch of students i had student i loaded up my student <laughs> i loaded up my car with so many rental lights so many times oh, and just like trucked them back and forth across cincinnati to to light the show mm -hmm. it was all done by us and we came up with some weird stuff there was some weird shows. Rolling on the floor and barking? Uh, no, oh, no, not that, that necessarily. That's more that's more up your alley yeah. than mine. <laughs> but we we were 
still able to do those shows. And it became this type of process where it was completely separate from our outside stuff. It was us learning hands-on how to do theater and how to put on a show. And it was kind of thrown together at times. But it really put that onus on us as the students to not only do the stuff that we wanted to do, do anything that we wanted to do, do monologues, do scenes, do a night of musical drama, like (laughs) do a bunch of like weird stuff like that. And because we did that, when the department came in or when the man came in who wanted to start our department, he looked around at what we had and what we were able to do with literally zero resources and was like, we can do this. We can make a really high quality department from this. And because we were so like driven in all of that, there are a lot of people who are professional theater artists who came from that group of people that I was putting on weird shows with in the basement of our student center. And I think like one of the other articles that we read had a very interesting point about not being allowed to do that experimentation within a department setting. And that's where I think the value of club theater, the value of student led theater groups is just completely invaluable. Yeah. So what would happen if we didn't have productions in our theater department, our students would be tested as to whether or not they really want to do theater because if they did, if they wanted to do productions, if they wanted that experience, it would be on them. Yeah. And I don't think that that's the greatest choice or anything. Yeah. But that's why it's totally theoretical. That's I don't why think there's totally, any yeah. theater department that would choose not to do productions. Right. And I don't, I don't want it to sound like I'm advocating for that at yes, all. Yes, I not. get it. Mm-hmm. But I think, I think as students, it's really valuable to ask yourself that question. What would I be doing this semester if I wasn't in this show that the department's putting on? What would I be doing if I wasn't in Romeo and Juliet? And if there's something else that you would rather be doing, if there's a different show that you would rather do, if you have a group of friends that are like, we want to do this weird thing. We want to bark on bark on the floor. Yeah. Roll on the floor (laughs) and bark like dogs. Yeah. We want to do a night of that. Then why aren't they doing that? You know? Yeah. No, I think that's, that's an excellent point. And one of the things that I loved about my time at the University of Illinois was we had a student-driven experimental space. And this was the kind of space where it was sponsored by and overseen by the theater department, but the theater department did not do any official productions there. Yes. Meaning they were not a part of our main stage season. Uh, the budget that they had to work with was next to nothing. I think mm-hmm. it was probably like $100 maybe, if that um, but it was still a nice black box space with good lights in it and some equipment that you could use and some pre-made doors and some flats and stuff that if you yeah. needed to paint them or do something with it, you could. But ultimately, it was you signed up for a time, you got a slot for a week or two weeks maybe, and you did a show. And a lot of students, we had a lot of students that would not get cast in productions for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what they would do. They would go, yeah. like, all right, well, great. This is my opportunity to do that show or to play that part that I've wanted to play that I'm not, I'm not going to get cast in right now, but I'm still going to figure it out. And they would find a director or direct it themselves, find some other students who weren't really terribly busy that semester or who were willing to give of their time and efforts, mm-hmm. and they would put on a show. 
Yeah. They would find rehearsal times. They would rehearse outside of the space. They'd, they'd load in, mount the production, do three or four performances over the course of a weekend, and then that was it. And it was, it, and so, uh, there were a lot of shows that I saw there that were that kind of thing, and they were great. Yeah. They were great. Yeah. And I was really grateful that we had a space for that. Yes. That we had, we gave students time. We encouraged them to do that, especially if they, if they had no other commitments within the department going on mm-hmm. so that they could try out their creativity mm-hmm. that let's let's put aside like sometimes i think we get hung up on professionalism this yeah. and that's not to say that I, uh, everything i've just said before this is is moot I, i'm mm-hmm. a big big believer in teaching your students about professionalism but i will say this don't get hung up on it sometimes yeah. you've got to let that go so that the creativity is really what shines that you've well, got and i think I think I completely agree. And I think that that experience is the most valuable and happens the most uh, organically in situations where students are with their peers. Yeah. Or yeah, because I, those are the people they're going to have to work with when they get out of school anyway. And that's, that's what (laughs) I feel like I've had this conversation with all of my classes several times because in theater emotions run high Mm -hmm. and in those types of environments, in student led works, in, the we have this space for a week let's see what we can do type of such situation yeah you learn that your peers may not always be your friends but they can be your peers <laughs> like they can be people that you put on a show with they yeah. can be people that you respect and that have your respect and it becomes so much more about that than about like whoever is talking behind whoever is back yeah like that's where I feel like I learned how to be a designer and I learned how to communicate with difficult personalities was in my student run theater groups. And IU had that same type of thing uh, that they had a very, very, very strong and active student community because the department shows were like, professionally run yeah and there wasn't really any room for experimentation within the department season but we had a studio space that the students could rent out there was the university players did a ton of productions always really focusing on new works or like less represented works and by doing that by putting that forward a lot of students were able to get experience that Otherwise, they would not have gotten. Yeah, and there's a lot of professionalism within that experience. I don't mean to oh, yeah. to knock that either, because I think you learn about the value of reliability and those sorts of things. That when you when you're trying to do that show and everyone in your cast is showing up for the rehearsals and they're prepared and they're ready to go, and you've got that one person mm-hmm. that seems to you have to drag them to rehearsal, or you've got to force them to learn their lines or yeah. whatever it is to do what they need to do. You learn very quickly that. Being reliable is incredibly important. And yes. and one person who's not derails the whole process and derails the whole attempt and derails what you hope to accomplish out of that. Yeah. So I, I, that's just one example. But I think you still learn professionalism even when you don't have professionals overseeing everything that you're doing. Absolutely. So I think there's a lot to learn from that. One other thing I'll add is this. In thinking about the idea of a department that doesn't mount full productions, one of the things that I learned a lot from in my experience as an undergrad was because I, so I was a musical theater major, and as a part of my graduation requirements or my fulfillments within the degree, 
I had to put on a one-hour musical theater recital. Mm. So this is one hour of me performing in various ways. I had to do a certain number of songs from certain numbers of eras of theater. Did you tap dance? Oh, what did I do? I didn't tap dance. I did a jazz-style dance. I did Vilcoman. Oh, gosh. I opened with Vilcoman from from Cabaret. Of course you did. So it was kind of a (laughs) a jazzy modern take on, on some dance. So that was... That, I think that and maybe one other uh, uh, couple's dance was the extent of my dance work. I was not the, I'm still not the strongest dancer at all. <laughs> um, that was the weakest of my three areas. But you have to do certain requirements. You've got a certain number of scenes, monologues, different types of genres and, right. and things that you have to meet and requirements that are set up for you mm-hmm. that you have to do as a part of this. I learned so much from that. Yeah. I learned so much from that. Because not only did I increase my repertoire and the kind of things that I was capable of doing and that I could just kind of do on the spot if I needed to, particularly monologues, but it really tested my ability to put together a show out of a weird context. Yeah. That this is not a fully fledged production, but I still need to get gather other performers. Yeah. I need to set rehearsal times. I've got to work with my accompanist if if it's a musical theater piece so that she was there to to rehearse with us. I have to get feedback from the directors that I was working with and on what they were seeing. Mm-hmm. Was, I had to do a lot. And all of it's done by solely by yourself. And, and an hour doesn't seem like a lot of time. But one hour of solid performance is so much time. Yes. And you there's so much you've got to do and you've got to – Figure out a flow to it, something that makes sense to you. There was one point where I was supposed to go off stage for a moment to take a like a breather uh-huh. and like grab a drink of water or something, and I completely for- forgot where I was in the program. Oh no! I completely forgot where I was, and so I just walked to the piano, which was on stage, and kind of just put my hands on it and like breathe for a second. And the accompanist realized something was up, so she just started to kind of play the intro to the next song kind of slowly, and I realized, oh, that's where we are. Oh, I see. (laughs) And I thought, I was like, damn it, I didn't get to go off stage and get my breather, but she (laughs) saved me. Yeah. She was there. Thank God for good accompanies. Yes. Thank God. If you're an accompanist out there, I love you. You're amazing. Keep doing what you're doing. Yes. But she saved me, and, and I was like, oh, thank God. We've rehearsed this enough. She knows where we are. I can rely on her for a second. My collaborators, my fellow performers want to want me to do well. Yeah. And they're there to support me, that kind of thing. And it went fa- fine, and I was good after that and got through it. But I think that I, the directorial abilities that I have, the performing abilities I have, a lot of that was kind of forged in that moment, mm-hmm. in that crucible, because I didn't have a lot of time to put it together I had to do a lot of work in a short amount of time with a lot of different people and schedule that, get it together, rely on these people, rely on their expertise, rely on them to save me at times when I needed it. Right. And and it came off just fine in the end. And really, that's kind of what it is. It's not yeah. necessarily about what it looks like at the end. It's just kind of they're testing your ability to do that. Yeah. They're testing your ability to be creative and stretch yourself and, and do every do as much as you can within these this kind of fixed context and make it work. Yeah. So I, I learned a lot from that. So I think that I think there is a lot of value in understanding and maybe asking the question. Mm-hmm. If you're a the, if you're in a theater department or you're chairing a theater department or you're in a leadership position in a theater department, ask yourself, what would our department be like if we didn't mount full productions? How would we still teach these students what they need to know? Mm-hmm. What could we still impart to them that they could take with them into their careers? 
yeah. think it's a valuable question. I again, it's like it's a theoretical question because no one's gonna do that. But right. what if? Yeah, what what is there? What and for I think it's a really like I said I think it's a very important question for students to ask themselves too. Yeah, if, I totally agree. If this was if this university was my only option, if I was stuck just taking all of these classes, not doing any production work, what would I do? Yeah. What would I what would I do? Would I just sit in my dorm room and mope or would I get a group of friends together and do the thing that I want to do? And I think like for for the students out there that might not understand the value in what they're learning right now, which we get. We've both been there. Yeah. Yeah. It's it happens. It, it is difficult, especially as an undergrad to like fully commit yourself to an educational process when you're wanting to do so many other things. Mm -hmm. It's difficult to do that. But if you're not getting that, what can you as a person and your friends, the other people that feel the same way, what can you guys do to make it better for yourselves? What can you do to get that experience that you want? What can you do to try out something that you've never done before and what are your expectations what level yeah. of professionalism do you hope to reach what level of excellence do you hope to reach i think that uh, setting that bar for yourself as a student is really important mm -hmm. so that you kind of know where you want to go even after you finish i think that's a good place to wrap this up yeah um good thoughts this week so yeah you too thank you <laughs> <laughs> going forward, um, I I'm not going to say we're going to have something out next week. We are at that end of the semester time where things start to get really crazy and oh God, those sorts of so things. So no promises on having a uh, keeping the week by week schedule. We'll try and get back to that as soon as we can. Yes. But we will have the next episode out as soon as we can get it out. Yes. Um, and we might be communicating via Twitter. So look out for that and mm -hmm. and talk to us, please. Please hit us up if you yeah. see us. Send us a DM or just tag us in a send post us or a something. DM. Yeah, direct message. I know what Twitter. a DM is, but like, isn't that? I don't know. In it, oh, in I guess society and that. culture, that it might be a bit of a sketchy thing to do. Well, yes, it's isn't not that sketchy. The implication? If you, I will say now, it's not sketchy if you DM us. It, it'll be fine. We will take it with. So says Kyle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elena <laughs> would prefer an email. <laughs> <laughs> Nonetheless, no matter how you reach out to us, we appreciate it. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear your thoughts, and we want to touch on subjects that you feel are important or answer questions that you want us to answer. Absolutely. And if you get back to us and maybe have a differing opinion, uh, we would love to talk about that yes. on the pod at some point. Yeah, please, please. Please let us know if you disagree with us. That's totally fine. We are yeah. good with that. We're theater people. We can take critique. Yes. I... I love being critiqued. <laughs> like, genuinely. You sound, I love being critiqued. Well, I mean... In, <laughs> Please critique me. In grad school, that's what it is, basically. Yeah, it's you just get trained critique. to be that person. And, like, you, you start to, like, thrive on that. You're like, yes, tell me what's wrong. <laughs> what am I doing wrong? I want to know more. Maybe we'll talk about critique for a, f for a future episode. Yes. Until then. Until then. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Teaching Drama Podcast. I'm Kyle A. Thomas. I am Elena Yerchak. Bye.